UMass fans on your tweets and make some noise for your podcaster. They never got over being 10 in 1996. Well, can you believe what's going on in the Atlantic 10 today? Oh, I remember man. when Penn State was in the Atlantic 10. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the still unnamed UMass basketball podcast. This is episode seven. My name is Curry Hicks Sage. I'm coming to you live from my apartment in New York City. I want to apologize in advance. I was scampering around the city after work today trying to find a perfect or the perfect pair of maroon pants. I got home a bit late and I will be snacking a bit through the episode. So I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. I am joined as always, well, not as always, because last week he was not here, by my co-host, the dynamic Andrew Callagy, a.k.a. A. Callagy on Twitter, a.k.a. A. Callagy for longtime listeners. <laughs> Andrew was not with us last week because he lost his voice in Buffalo at a bachelor party for the Patriots game. But folks, he has returned this week. Andrew, welcome the, back. The voice is back. I am back. I feel good. Um, I want to apologize to all the listeners for missing last week. It was a, uh, a hectic weekend, to say the least, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be back on the pod. Anything, uh, any stories from Buffalo? I mean, how did you actually lose the, how did you actually, the folks need to know how you actually lost the voice. <laughs> well, it's a long story. Um, anybody who's ever been to Buffalo or Niagara, and I don't want to um, upset anyone who lives in that area or is from that area, but it's a weird place. Uh, it's a very strange place that I was not really anticipating when we, when we got in there. But basically, um, Sundays in Buffalo, when there's a home game for the Bills, is, is a little bit is insane. Um, basically, my, just to give you a quick story here, we had 17 people go down to go up to Buffalo. Uh, I flew with four of my friends, all UMass grads, actually. Um, and... It was a high school friend. It was a high school friend of mine that was there, and he's gone to meet some of my UMass buddies. But anyway, it doesn't matter. We had an RV go out there with like seven people, and so the RV drove, and so we are in the RV park um, of the you know Buffalo tailgate section. So I didn't, I was not in the RV part. So we're, we're we stayed in Niagara in Canada. So we had the Uber to the border. We had to walk over the border, get an Uber from. Buffalo all the way to Ralph Wilson Stadium, which is like 40, 40 minutes. And it was just, it was kind of a process, but just overall a very strange experience. But so we get dropped off right at, um, right near the RV park. And, and my buddies aren't even there yet. And our very, the Bills Mafia, if you will, is going into the RV park. There's a, a guy who's solo. Nobody's hey, around I him. Guess. I want to guess. It's got to Go be ahead. like a St. Bonaventure fan. No, it, oh my god! I wish it was. I, if okay, the guy was wearing, on. if the guy was wearing a Bonnie's sweatshirt, I would have passed out. But it's like it's no joke. Just set the scene. It's like eight thirty in the morning. We got up so damn early on Sunday after a pretty long night Saturday, and we get dropped off like you know a hundred yards from the RV park. The guys in the RV who drove down from Niagara aren't there yet, so we're trying to figure out a place to just chill until our buddies get there with the RV. And so 
we're walking into the RV park and we look to our right about 30 to 40 feet away. And there's this guy standing next to an RV completely by himself. I don't know if he's with people or I don't know if he just drove an RV there by himself and just is like, Hey, this is me. I'm kind of like RV. Sage. That's kind of like Sage at a road, at a road game. Carry right. On. Exactly. <laughs> just driving your RV into the, into the parking lot. So this guy is th- he's, he's in a Buffalo Jersey. We're all on Pat's jerseys. He just double birds us like two middle fingers straight in the air and just nice. says, and just says, get the fuck out of Buffalo. And that, nice. and that was our Strong introdu- welcoming. introduction welcoming. into Bill's mafia that day. And then from there it got pretty debaucherous. Um, we were screaming and yelling the whole game. I lost my voice for like three or four days. It was, uh, it was pretty ugly uh, at the same time the pass got the win and we had a great time on the bachelor party. But, um, yeah, Buffalo Niagara. Um, not sure I'd, I'd recommend it unless you're very into um, adult places to go or casinos. Um, other than that, I'm not sure if there's a lot to be desired yeah. other, than, other than Niagara Falls, which is also beautiful. But um, those are basically the three things well, you can you can I do. I mean, in- that's why Bonaventure basketball remains like semi-relevant because there's literally nothing else to do. And right. the, the best part is when people say about Bonaventure, they're like, yeah, um, we're only an hour and 40 minutes from Rochester. Like, I, that's an actual... <laughs> <laughs> that's an actual statement. I mean, it's kind of an ironic one, but anyway, alas, Cal, we're glad yeah. to have you back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. All right, so speaking of the Maroon Pant movement, let's let's give the... You know, I think most of the, the hardcore listeners of this program are going to know exactly what this is, but for those of you not on Twitter, for those of you who are not tapped into exactly what's going on in the day-to-days of the kind of UMass Twitter sphere. On Saturday, uh, when UMass defeated Providence, yep. um, Matt McCall was wearing a pair of slacks. Very, very nice pair of maroon dress pants. He looked great. So, I'll be honest. I, I don't know if he really good. He Hold looked on. really good. I don't know if people notice this. I'm going I'm to pause you for one second, but I don't know if people notice this, but he was wearing a, a, a Navy jacket with maro- like very light maroon checkering in there. And it, it was, perfect. I didn't see the light checkering, but Oh yeah. Also, also it too. It, it looked great. It looked great. Okay. So long, long story short, the photo of this kind of gets out there in the Twitter sphere and people are kind of remarking like, you know, how sharp it is, or I think Bamford maybe had tweet like, you know, looking sharp or something like that. So I commented at one point and I, and I, I don't want to take credit entirely for this because there is a kid, I think his name is Ryan Boday. He's a current student at UMass. I want to say he's a junior. And he said something like, where can we get those pants? Or I forget exactly what it was. But then I then said, quick, shortly after, let's all wear maroon pants to the Georgia game or something like that. I forget the exact name. With, within seemingly seconds of my tweet, Alan Pandiani, friend of the show, hops in and he says, you know, somehow it starts getting into maroon pant movement. And Ryan and he, Pandiani's on board and Ryan Bamford, the athletic director, jumps in and he says, I'm going to give a dollar for every person that wears a pair of maroon pants to the Georgia game. From there, John Kennedy of John F. Kennedy uh, Champion Center, the practice facility fame, says he's going to match the donations dollar for dollar. Other people are hopping in, donating. And the maroon pant thing by the next day, I want to say, maybe two days later, is being emailed to all of the 
um, basically all of the ticket holders saying, wear maroon pants, there's competitions for $10. You, you wear, you, you know, you can get in if you're wearing maroon pants, you can get a, a cheap seat. This whole thing is like taken off on Twitter. Everybody's firing pants tonight, as I mentioned. Great story. Well, here's the one thing I want to address really quickly. Athletic Director Bamford, in the process of uh, urging people to, you know, donate on, to the court club, the, the UMass Booster Fund, as part of the maroon pant movement for all, you know, pledging a certain amount for however many people wear maroon pants. In this process, he also says there's going to be hats given away. And I, I, I say to him after he says that, I say, well, uh, how do I get one of those hats? He says something like, I'll look into your, I'll with your hat for you if I can see you. Um, you know, if you pledge to the Maroon Pan movement, a, a certain, you know, dollar figure. So I respond and I say, would it be selfish if I donated the funds that I would have given to the core club or whatever to our podcast and got a better microphone to upgrade the sound quality, asking for a friend or something like that? Bamford actually quote tweets that and responds, yes, that would be selfish. Now. I'm going to give Ryan as well. First of all, I think he just said, yes. I don't think he said, yes, that would be selfish. No, he said, yes, comma, selfish. Oh, okay. I don't know if I said that. I'll go back to confirm the tweet. But that's what he said. So, and I said, and I responded saying, I'll address this. I, I said, I'll address this on the podcast. So Ryan Bamford, a social media savvy athletic director, if there ever was one, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and hope that, you know, because Twitter is a tone deaf medium, he was just being a little snarky, being a little ironic. But in the event that he wasn't, let me just defend myself for a moment. First of all, I'm of the belief, perhaps somewhat delusionally, that this podcast in its own right has and the fandom that, you know, that congregates both on Twitter and asks questions about for the pod has helped propel a movement like the Maroon Pant movement quite a bit in a manner that you could probably, if you were an economist or something, quantify a dollar amount that and take it as you, as you will. Number two, earlier in the off-season, when we started the Section W thing, multiple people, as many as 15 or 20, purchased season tickets who wouldn't have otherwise had we not started talking about everyone getting tickets in section W that unto itself is in the range of thousands of dollars in terms of gate revenues. Number three, I don't believe that the only way to contribute to a program for a season who's someone who's already a season ticket holder, as I am someone who travels to road games and someone who buys merch and all those other things is necessarily to make a specific donation to the court club, the formal booster organization of UMass basketball. While I think it's a wonderful thing that we're raising money and that's the way you keep getting the ball moving and retaining coaches and all those things. And I understand the value of it. I just want to tell Ryan that my contribution, there, there are many realms in life where I, I could stand to give lots more, but I give a whole lot to my UMass basketball fandom as it as this show should be evidence of enough. So that, that being said, I will, in the spirit of doing something, I've seen a lot of people do a nickel for per person. I'll throw two cents a person because I do feel the pressure from Bamford 
and that will be something. But I'm just pointing out that <laughs> when you consider the amount I spend on road tickets, on neutral site tickets, on season tickets, I really do not want to have my loyalty questioned. I, I have a small child. I do just fine. I'm blessed. But, you know, Ryan, let, let's be real here. You got other people you can hit up for these donations. <laughs> All right, let's start the show. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. All right, yeah, we what do you got? What do you got? We got to address. We got to address that real quick. Um, first of all, any money that you would be spending on UMass athletics that doesn't go to your child it should one hundred percent go to your child. <laughs> let's 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 get that out of the way r- right away. The you the, the maroon pant the maroon pant movement, which I, I believe is what it's called. Uh, granted, I've been a little bit off of Twitter this week with a new job and such, but. Um, Sage, I will give you a lot of credit for kind of starting this and saying, I think your original tweet was everybody in section W on Saturday should wear maroon pants. And then Alan and Ryan kind of jumped onto that. And it was became, it's, it's become a phenomenon to be honest, which like, I'll be totally frank. I'm not sure how I feel about it because I think it, it could be something really, really cool or it could end up being something lame if it doesn't catch on where it's just like a one game thing. But I am all about like, listen, I have maroon pants already. Like this is something that's in my closet prior to this all going on. I will gladly wear those to any game that uh, upcoming. I unfortunately cannot go to this Georgia game on Saturday, but um, I want to just give you credit for kind of starting this whole thing because there was a point where you tweeted section W all like you know the section W movement that we quote, had. I think I quote tweeted like Johnny Humblesticks, or I forget what he goes by. Like somebody, 10, yeah, somebody said ten, it, but. ten rings something, and then I quote tweeted him, and he was like, "Fuck it, let's all go to the game in in Maroon." And then I was like, "I'm Curry Hicks Sage, and I approve this message." And then it <laughs> yeah. just kept, and it just like kept going and going. Now I don't want to, and I'm let me be clear. Like I, I've said this before, like I never want my Twitter persona and my fandom persona in any way whatsoever to, you know, to somehow like eclipse the, the, the main goal here, which we all have both the athletic department and, you know, the fan base, which is winning and quality basketball in front of, you know, big crowds. Like I never, ever want to make it, you know, I like, obviously I riff on here or whatever. I just want to point out that like, you know, is it really good? Like in the grand scheme of things, you're hitting, I'm not, I'm not a high dollar donor. Like, do you really need to hit me up for, for another $40 or a hundred dollars? I mean, come on, like, I'm giving you guys like season tickets and a podcast that arguably like is free advertising. Most of the time. Okay. So last week we had what was frankly the best week of UMass basketball, certainly this season, and I would say in certain sort of existential ways about the program's general improvement, probably in the last couple few years, because not only did we beat Holy Cross, which was a really solid bounce back win after four straight losses when you were starting to wonder, okay, where does this team go from here? But then we came home and had the absolutely outstanding and surprise win of the season for sure against Providence. Let's first break down the Holy Cross game. Uh, Cal, what uh, what did you see in the Holy Cross game? Because I'll be honest, I watched the first, the last five minutes of the first half, 
and then the last 15 minutes of the second half, and I haven't gone back and watched everything everything else in its entirety. So you probably watched that game a little bit more closely than I did, and I'm curious yeah. about your, your thoughts. Yeah, so the Holy Cross game in particular, and granted, Holy Cross is coming in, and they were I think they were 2-5 and five going into the game. And so it's like it's one of those weird games where it's like you know this team can play, and I'm watching the game, and I know that Holy Cross – He's trying to set uh, very deliberate offensive plays and they are, have a very structured offense and even a defense that was very man to man the whole game. And it was, um, it was, in my opinion, it was, it was the best one of the season up until that point because they were talented. Like they had guys that could, that could play Um, this kid uh, Floyd could 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 definitely play, and I'm God. I'm I'm gonna break on some couple names here, but uh, Grandison off the bench was was filling it up for them a little bit. But anyway, the the defense in that game, especially in the second half, uh, was just phenomenal. They they took Holy Cross out of everything they wanted to do. There was a ton of flex sets um, for some you know basketball junkies out there. The 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 flex offense that Holy Cross was trying to run, and it was just um, it, it was an incredible defensive performance from UMass after a, a couple games where I just didn't think they, they had it on that end. And uh, they completely took Holy Cross out of what they wanted to do, especially in the second half. Uh, Holy Cross had a, hit a couple really nice threes off the, off the bounce in the first half that kind of kept them in the game. But you, you could tell that UMass was the better team throughout the game. And I wasn't expecting that. I, I truly wasn't. And Unique McLean had, a, had an awesome game. I thought it was Unique's best performance of the year. Um, he had a couple threes. He got to he got to the lane, uh, drew a couple fouls, and was three for three from the line, which was super encouraging. Um, I just think overall, you know, up until that point, and granted, we're not talking about the Providence game yet, but I, I dubbed that the best the best one of the season because I think Holy Cross. When once you get into conference play, when they're playing in the Patriot, I, I don't know if they're still in the Patriot League, but yeah. regardless, whatever, yeah, but in the Patriot League, I think they're going to be a player. Like I, I really do. I think they're a talented yeah. team. And it's just, it's one of those games where I, I looked at it at the end of the game. And I was like, that's a, that's a hell of a win for this team. Yeah. I mean, so Bill Carmody, who's their coach is a former Northwestern coach who was there for many, many years and kind of got that program on the brink of being good after years of being just abjectly horrific. And he runs, you know, a lot of the Prince and offense stuff. You run, there's a, there's a, there's a ton of backdoor stuff. It's, yeah. it's, it's very, it's very and I was saying it's very flex oriented the way he, the way he runs his offense, and it's difficult to prepare for. It. And McCall spoke about this in his post game press conference, which for listeners, regular listeners of the show, know that I am just a huge fan of the McCall post game presser. Oh, it's but, beautiful! Like he's just the way he diagnoses the game is beautiful. And he talked about how the uh, practice squad, uh, which featured a lot of those transfers was was really locked in and he basically ran a okay. scout team he had a full he had a scout team doing holy Cross's sets for two full days and they were really good and i think you know the thing about that game is that speaks to the level of preparation he's demanding and when the kids buy in you beat teams like holy cross because you are going right. to be a little bit more athletic than a holy cross and you should if you're doing the if you're if you're doing things to prepare you're going to beat a holy cross but there's so many times with under Kellogg, I, I'm not going to go back to Kellogg all the time, but where that very game would have just flowed very differently. And I will say, um, late in, in the second half, Holy Cross went to actually a little bit of a weird, kind of a weird zone, and we struggled a little bit against it. It was like that 
It was kind yeah. of like a one two. It was like a one three one, but it looked like a one two two. It was like just a lot. It of was yeah. Games. It was a matchup. It was a matchup one two two that often turned into like a one three one for them. And we did struggle a little bit against it, but the point is, even when you struggle against the difficult zone for you know four or five minutes or whatever, if you're playing your head off on D, you can manage. And so, yeah, they cut the lead a tiny bit, but UMass continued to pressure defensively and, and can, was so prepared defensively that it didn't really matter because even in that stretch, Holy Cross didn't really take, you know, didn't take advantage of it because we were so good on D. And, and, and that was so encouraging for a UMass team who, you know, I mean, you think about some of those runs like a few years ago when Fordham went on a 26-0 run against UMass. Right. When we went, when we would go cold or struggle against an opposing offense, opposing defense, we didn't compensate on the other end. And you know, the reality is, you're going to go cold sometimes for various reasons. But the key here is that they just kept persevering through those challenges offensively by by playing great defense, and that's the stuff you can control. And so ultimately, they won by 14, and it was like, and they held the Holy Cross to to 50 points, and so. You know, just a really solid win, and then it, trans- uh, it translated over into the really outstanding Providence win on Saturday. So, Cal, let's talk about the Providence game. Um, obviously, a really encouraging win, and in terms of that one, I was supposed to go up, and the weather just crushed me in New York, so I've decided I'm going up for the Georgia game instead. And I actually couldn't get a dance i couldn't watch in real time so i and i couldn't get a stream forever because the a10 network fucking sucks yeah so eventually after i and so i oh my god i i didn't so i basically knew didn't know the result i maintained complete unawareness of the result intentionally and then accidentally went on to instagram like and it was and of course i follow umass basketball on instagram and i learned the result i was thrilled then I spent three hours that night trying to find a stream. And shout out to Winslow05, Brian Winslow, friend of the show, who found on some weird Providence blog, like Friar blog, somebody had uploaded the game. And I got to watch basically all but the, fir- the like middle nine minutes of the second half where we sort of uh, lost the lead. And then I, but I yeah. watched everything else. So I just want to say, I know Providence was without a couple dudes. And I and and that I just want to say that doesn't diminish the quality of this result. I think that yes, maybe the result is different if they have a little more depth. But the reality is, UMass doesn't have any depth. We have eight dudes on scholarship, one of whom plays very little, and another, you know, Chris Baldwin, who finally started playing again in this game. The reality of this one for me, and I want to get your 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 more detailed thoughts in a second. But the reality of this one for me is. When Luan Pipkins is that efficient offensively, this team can basically hang with anyone on their schedule this year. When you score 30 on 12 of 16, I mean, they didn't even really get a great performance from Holloway or, or you know, I mean, he was solid. But when, when Pipkins is that good, this is a team that can hang with basically anyone they play. Yeah. Uh, Pipkins is a complete game changer. Uh, he it, when he plays like this, I mean, I, and I granted the one thing I saw with Pipkins, and he, and I'm gonna preface this with the fact that he did score 30 points, but when he is as engaged on the defensive end as he was in the first half of that game, 
this team is, is on a different planet because he was everywhere in the first half. And I don't even want to diminish that. The fact that I just said everywhere, he was helping on plays where he really didn't even need to help. And he was getting a hand on balls. He was making these weird steals that I just didn't even think he should have even been involved in where it wasn't even his steal, but it was his steal. Right. Exactly. And it's like, I was watching that first, especially the first like 10 to 12 minutes when UMass was building, like I think they were up 13 or 14 at one point. 10 or 12. I don't know if it got to 14, but yeah, it's definitely like, 19-9 and maybe 21-9 at one Yeah, point. something like that. And it's like, I'm watching this game, and this entire run is Luane Pipkins. Like, Lu- I mean, I don't know if it's Luane, Luan, I don't Luan, really do Luan. Luan, Luan Pipkins. And he was just everywhere. I mean, it was unbelievable to watch that guy play because he can single-handedly, it's, it's college basketball, right? It's not the NBA. When you're 5'10", like Luan is, he can change a game like by himself and his speed and his ability to just read certain coverages on defense was unbelievable. And then he goes down the other end and he's hitting these bank shots, runners and these, these floaters not to mention the fact that he was four for seven from three in the game. And it was just an unbelievable performance from Luan Pipkins. And if, you know, if this is any indicator with what he can do, and granted, we're not talking that he's going to score 30 points a game, but I'm talking more defensively. When he's engaged like that, this is a completely different team. And it's, it's flat, and it's a team that I honestly think could finish like seventh or eighth in the A10. Because and he's. When, yeah, go ahead. No, I just say he's that good. That's all I was going to finish with. Yeah, I mean, he's completely changed the, the complexion of the season with his play. I mean, I think a lot of us were hoping that – because, look, he did average double figures last year. He shot yeah. a ton, and he missed a lot of shots. But the reality is he still averaged double figures, and that was on a team with a ton of guards, and it was very hard to get touches, frankly. I think that he's now – first of all, he's so bought into what McCall's doing. Agreed. That, and McCall talked about it in, in really – kind of, you know, pretty sort of a moving way after the game, just how far he's come since the day McCall arrived on campus in terms of just buy-in. And and I think part of the reason he's buying in is because he's being put in spots that benefit him. He, he understands that this is a coach who's running him off of certain screens and little actions and, you know, um, kind of some of the dribble handoff stuff that, that genuinely gets him in a place where he can get looks. I, I feel like, right. I mean, I couldn't, I can't quantify this, but I just feel like the number of, contested looks he got or he still hit shots contested but I just feel like he has a tiny bit more time to get his shot off this year which is yeah. quite, a bit, quite a bit when you consider that this team doesn't even really have a true point guard but they run those dribble handoffs and they run off you know they run off of screens at, at the at the blocks well not really at the block at the sort of at the foul line extended so much that eventually they just sort of find a way to get him a shot and I don't know if it's and, and I don't know if it's if it's just the the sets but the thing about what Pippins has done this year, and I first noticed at Harvard when I when it was when I you know saw like and realized something was happening is he's not running into traffic nearly the way he was last right. year. He still does it a little bit, but he just finds these the little crease much more. And and there's something about that. It's it's hard to quantify, but you just kind of know it when you see it. Like he's he's changing speeds better. You know, you saw you see Bryce Johnson at at Harvard do it so well. And you're seeing Pipkins do a lot more of that. So he's not getting blocked as much. He's just making better decisions. And, you know, we're managing to find ways of getting him involved off the ball and not forcing him to be a point guard, which is really hard to do on a team, frankly, 
that doesn't have a true point guard. And it's, it, it's a testament to McCall that he's able to get him in those spots, but. Yeah, yeah no, hold on. Can I, can I comment on that? Yeah, real quick? Yeah, of course, I think of you, course. I think you, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with the fact that Pipkins is getting more open looks and that is 100% attributed to, well, I shouldn't say hundred percent because Pipkins's ability to get into the lane is far greater than it was last year. So you've got to give, uh, you got to give Pip a ton of credit because he is definitely taking people off the dribble better than he was last year. But there was two plays in the second half. Um, I think it was like on, you know, but, but, but like four possessions. It was two two different plays where McCall ran the exact same set, and it was. I mean, I almost fell out of my chair. I was so happy because there was two bigs in. It was Holloway and Hines were both in the game, and he brought both of those guys up into the high post. And CJ was the acting point guard for this. So he was taking the ball up and Pip was on the right side. And CJ just did a little bit of a handoff and faked the screen and Pip both times slipped it with the ball in his hand. So he went around, he didn't use the screen. He just basically thought his guy thought he was going to use the screen and then just went left essentially. And so I'm basically saying that the CJ was going to the left side of the floor and the lane was wide open because both the bigs thought that Pip was just going to come off basically three screens. And so two different plays where we have two bigs in the game and the lane is wide open. And it was all, I, I was sitting in my chair watching the game on Nesson and saying, Oh my God, Matt McCall just set. We just got four points from Matt McCall. And it was like, I, I was, you mean I was you thought four. he was going to come off and, and bury a three at like the it, player. It was more like, so, so CJ's got the ball. He's dribbling left. Pip is on the wing. He's coming and using, he was going to use basically a dribble handoff and then use like a Holloway screen on the, on the, on the elbow or a, a Malik Hines screen on the elbow. But instead Pip took the ball and just basically didn't use the screen. He just went around his guy on the opposite side. And there was so uh, much space and it was so much space. on the other side. It's like a exactly. running back going through a hole, going through a, a huge hole. Exactly. And it was like one of those things they did it twice. And the second time called time. And granted, they were definitely going to make an adjustment, and and McCall didn't call the play the rest of the game. But I just remember thinking in my head, it was a very, cru- it was two crucial moments in the game where I think UMass was up four to six to eight, right in that range. And Pipkins had two layups where it was just like that was one hundred percent a Matt McCall created scenario where he with two bigs, two bigs who usually score within the paint on the floor, and our point guard got uncontested layups at the hoop, and it was like. I mean, that's just – that's the difference between a, a coach that knows what he's doing, and it's like – it's beautiful to watch. It really was beautiful. Yeah, so and that's where, impressed. and that's where, like, look, I actually don't think Kellogg was horrible in terms of getting guys mostly motivated. I don't think he ever really lost the team completely, maybe a little bit like his second or third season. Well, but, it's different between but, motivating but the, and putting – and then, like, and just running a run-and-gun type of exa- offense. Exactly. Guys, so can what get to, guys can get to the hoop on their own because they're really talented. But putting a guy like William Pipkins in a position to do that type of stuff is like, okay, now we're now we're well. So that's, so that's what I'm saying. So I'm saying like they, you know, it, it's like I, I don't really fault Kellogg in, in terms of like the the buy-in stuff. You know, it frustrated me at points. I thought there was, but the reality is like the stuff we're talking about with McCall is, is actual points that he is coming up with in his brain that yeah. is that you know that's giving you so the effort, the intensity, the motivation thing. That's all great. The culture stuff, I love all that. But then there are these moments where you just, you know, in a, almost like a, dare I say, like a Brad Stevens-esque fashion where he just comes up with a little action and exploits, you know, exploits 
the defense and gets you four easy points. I mean, that that's right. So the other thing I want to say about that game is, and I got to watch the tape over a little because, I, I, as I said, I, meant, I missed sort of the middle 10 minutes of the second half when, when UMass fell behind. But the other thing I want to talk about in that game that struck me is, well, one, Baldwin's, Baldwin had his best game of the year and he barely scored, which is super encouraging because we talked about it last episode when you weren't on. But look, I think there are a lot of people who are concerned about Chris Baldwin's future with the program. I think it was at the point where in South Carolina, but not only did, but what's amazing was like, it wasn't as if he had this masterful game on the stat sheet. He just did the right little things that helped the team win. I mean, it's cliche, but it's completely true. But the the other thing beyond Baldwin. So like, I'm really excited about, and that's one of the reasons I think I'm so excited moving forward because it now feels like that was the turning point in a certain symbolic sense of, okay, Baldwin's doing the little things, it feels now like everybody's bought in. It's like yep. we've kind of got everybody on the same page rowing the ship in the same direction now. now and, you know, there's going to be moments where that, where that you know, we, we revert back to form and then shit happens. But for the first time, you know, it, it's like McCall willed the team into the, the, the shape he needed to see it. And it came about what it couldn't have come at a better time because they were, they had lost four in a row and then they had put together their two best performances. So it's like, now they see, okay, we're buying into the process and look what's actually happening and people are getting excited, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to get to that in a moment, but I, I keep Paul, going. Can I say, can I say something real yeah. quick about Chris? Yeah. So I was down on Baldwin kind of like you were going into that Providence game. And the, the second half performance that he put on, I swear he must have played 10 or 12 minutes in the second half because he stayed out of foul trouble. He was the only big in the entire game that really stayed out of foul trouble. And his energy, and I'm, he, he didn't, you're exactly right. He didn't exactly fill up the this, this stat sheet, but it was like, holy cow, there's Chris Baldwin. And there he is again. And there and deflecting a shot or challenging a shot at the rim. And then the, the play of the game, in my opinion, was when he caught a quick pass from Pipkins and he didn't hesitate at all at the at the elbow. He just dished it right down to CJ Anderson and CJ dunks it. And all of a sudden, timeout, um, uh, timeout Providence and the, the place is going bananas because of a play that Chris Baldwin made. It might've been his only assist on the night, but it was like just phenomenal, phenomenal basketball by him. And I, I got to give him all the credit in the world because I think bo- both you and I were a little bit down on him just with his effort. But I think he was amazing in that Providence. Game. And he responded. I mean, McCall like was like, look, I'm not going to play this fucking game. I'm not going to baby you. You want to do this? Like do do it your way. I'm not going to do that. And he actually responded to that. So, and that's yeah. I think people people don't understand how hard it is for a coach to stick to his guns. I mean, the truth is, we in that South Carolina game, we had our bigs were in utter foul trouble the entire time, and he went to Kalea Turner Morris over Chris Baldwin, a four star. He did. Now, the big the point I keep trying to get to. Go ahead, Carl freaking Pierre. <laughs> okay, I was waiting I for this. So high on this kid because, as I said on Twitter in the game, ten minutes in, my first takeaway was this. He's never taken a bad shot. I mean, somebody on Twitter was like, oh, once in a while he doesn't square up or something. But the reality is like... Still not a bad shot. Yeah. This kid doesn't take a bad shot. So, and for, and he's kind of got a high release and he's like, he's pretty tall So and he's long. So, he's, he's like not really going to get blocked. He's not the most athletic kid. He's... He, if you... You can see why kind of superficial scouting would have overlooked him a little bit because he doesn't look you know lightning quick he looks a little bit like in slow motion in certain sense with his shot but his release is pure 
He gets it off so pure. anytime he wants to. And now he's, people have to respect him so he can go to the rim. Point is, this kid gives UMass something they have not had probably ever in the, in the Kellogg era, which is a guy who can make who can space defenses as much as it's Pipkins who's getting into the lane and forcing it. It's also Carl Pierre. When he's on the floor, you have to respect his shot. You have to respect it, whether it's going in or not. It's always a good look. So you, the opponent's defense, it just has to respect his shot. And that opens up so much for everybody else. And it just feels like there's not that kind of bunching together and that clutter that you would see uh, many times in the Kellogg era because you have a guy who's just a straight up shot maker. And I, yep. and I think, you know, there's so many times where you see this, you know, where, where these guys who can just hit shots. I mean, Steph Curry was like this out of high school. He was, you know, he, he got like a preferred walk on offer to Virginia tech, right? Nobody wanted, because so many coaches just, uh, you know, a little less now since in the last 10 years, we've really started to see the importance of the three with analytics and all that. But the truth is, I mean, a lot of guys, if they're not freak athletes, get overlooked. And it's wrong every damn time. I mean, you look at the kid on Michigan who went to Williams College, D3 Williams College. Duncan, Duncan Robinson. Robinson. Yeah, Duncan and, Robinson. And it's like Beeline and great coaches like Beeline and Bob McKillop. These guys understand that you need shooters. That And it's, you can't replace shooters. Shooters are shooters are shooters. It doesn't matter what level they are. And it's like. When you have a kid like Carl Pierre, it just gives your whole team a new dimension because now all of a sudden the Pipkins and Anderson have a little more space to operate because they have yep. the opponents have to respect the three. And, and so I just think he's been such an, a pleasant you – know, frankly, I was high on him from the jump, but he's, he's really becoming an X factor on this team because – and I mean, he's basically a starter at this point. And, you know, Munich McLean you spoke of in the Holy Cross game, he's been really encouraging, but – it's a different set of skills he provides, and he plays a totally different game. Carl Pierre is a kind of conventional, old-school, throwback, just like shot maker who completely changes the dynamic of a basketball game. Yeah, I think so, – so two things here, Sage. One, do not disrespect my guy, Ricky Buckets, a.k.a. Ricky Harris – Saying that Derek never had he was a Travis Ford. He was a Travis Ford yeah, recruit, no, and he was there with Kellogg for only one year. So yeah, no, I'm or I'm playing, two years, I'm I playing around. Yeah. But Ricky, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, Ricky Harris has a soft spot in my heart because one, oh, I love him. I, one of my all time favorites, by the way. Honestly, I, I interacted with Ricky a decent amount when I when I was on campus. That kid could not have been more of a nice person. Really, great he guy, was first rate person, absolutely first rate guy. So, Carl so Pierre, by the way, very similar from what everyone says. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, I haven't not interacted with Carl because, granted, I'm not a UMass student, but I. But anyway, either way, um, second point, Carl Pierre. I looked at him coming out of college. I've watched, you know, I'm I'm a weirdo. I watch, I watch. I'm sorry, yeah, out of high school, I watch a, a weird amount of tape on these guys. Um, shout out to Trey Wood, who I've watch like 30 minutes of YouTube videos on he, the kids going to be good. Yeah. Unbelievable. Anyway, Carl Pierre, I thought he was going to be more of a slasher for this team. Cause he's, he's weird. He's weirdly long. It's like his arms are like two or three inches longer than you think they are. And he, he can finish around the rim. But every time that kid shoots the ball, I think it's going in at this point. I mean, it's been the last couple games. And if it doesn't go in, it's time. like, it's like a in and out, you know? Mm. And it's like every single time. And it's so he's at the point where he has the green light me anytime he wants it as long as it's as long as some guy's not six inches from his face um so you can see why mccall 
likes likes this guy so much. But he is such a smart player because when he doesn't have the shot, he makes the right pass every time. I would love, and I, I could look this up quickly right now, but I would just love to see what Carl Pierre's turnover numbers are this year because I don't know, I don't know if he's had more. Yeah, than I, I mean the one turn, one or two turns is like he's gotten called maybe for like stepping on the line after, like bef- just before like burying a three that doesn't count. Like he hit a couple corner threes. Right. I think it was maybe the Holy Cross game that didn't count. And and like they, they should have. <laughs> it was like right. You know, I mean, he's just been lights out. He's been great. Yeah. Okay, so looking ahead, this weekend we have a really a huge game. I mean, a week to prepare for a Georgia team that is seven and one and actually coming off of a win. What will be eleven days uh, before this actual game? They've had a long break for finals and whatever else, uh, in which they beat the Pat Kelsey-led Winthrop Eagles by five. This Georgia team is 7-1. They've beaten a ranked St. Mary's team. They've beaten their only losses to San Diego State, and they have beaten uh, Marquette as well. And I think that might have been a road win. Really quality team. Really quality team from all I've heard. Cal, I think you know a little bit more about them. And, you know, just to give folks a little history who aren't fans of the national game as much, Mark Fox has been there for what feels like forever without going to a tournament or, or going to very few tournaments. And every year it feels like he's on the hot seat and then somehow he finds his way back there. So, you know, you have to presume again this year is something similar. They're clearly in the right spot at seven and one. What can you tell us about this Georgia team? Uh, yeah, I think the name that you got to look at um, for Georgia is, is a kid. And I'm probably going to butcher this, butcher this pronunciation, but Yante Maton or Yante Maton. Um, he's been there for, for four years. He's a four-year senior. He's averaging 18 and a half and, and nine and a half boards a game. If, if you watch a lot of college basketball like I do, you're going to remember this kid as an absolute Kentucky killer. Every single time Georgia plays Kentucky, it's on ESPN. It's like a Wednesday night game. And Yanti Maiden is putting up like 15 and 10 every single time. This, he is a really, he's a prototypical four year college basketball player who, who's going to run six, eight. He's not big enough to be in the NBA. If he was three inches taller, he probably would have declared for the NBA draft, like, you know, after his freshman or sophomore year. He is an exceptional, exceptional college basketball player. So, right there, I mean, you you got to prepare for this kid. I mean, he is he's a beast. He's shooting some threes. He can stretch it out. Um, it starts and might end with him because the next player he's averaging nineteen points and not in nine and a half rebounds. The next player on the team is averaging 12, 12 and four assists. And William Jackson um, for this for for Georgia, he's a, he's a junior. He's actually coming on really strong this year. Um, after not playing a ton of minutes for his previous couple of years in in, uh, in Athens, but um, so he's clearly the point guard. He's a tall point guard, six four. Uh, he's leading the assist man on the team. He's gets in, he gets in some uh, passing lanes. He's he's probably I think he's leading the team in, in steals as well. Um, it's it's a good team. It's a thing. It's like you know they're seven and one. Um, I'd be wrong about that. No, seven and one. They're seven and no, one. No, seven and one. Yep. Yeah, and they're they're seven and one. They're a good team. 
Um, they have a really they borderline all conference first team player on, on the team and, and maybe one of the best, you know, 30 to 40 players in all of college basketball. So uh, that's a, that's a serious issue for this team because for this uh, UMass team. But at the same time, it's not like it's a wing player, which what I would be a little bit more worried about with this with this uh, UMass team is that if it was a guy who was six 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 five and just filling it up on the outside or being able to slash, you know, you only pretty much got CJ and, and you know, I, I worry about Carl Pierre guard and those type of guys, but it's a guy that I think Malik Hines and Chris Baldwin can match up pretty well with. Um, you know, By Brad, the way, Hines, we haven't talked about it much. Quietly having a wonderful season. I mean, yeah, he's Hines just doing awesome. everything that's been asked of him. And, and I think the contrast there a little bit with Holloway's continued struggles, if we're being candid, uh, is, is, you know, it's, it's pretty clear. I mean, it, it's, and it's been refreshing, frankly. Do you think that he will draw the matchup of, of the Georgia big or do you yeah, think it'll go to Baldwin it, initially? Yeah. It, it would not shock me based on granted what I'm looking at here is ESPN box scores, who they're starting, but they, they basically run six, eight, six, nine up front. So it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't know, you know, this guy, Mike Edwards, who's averaging like 18, 19 minutes a game. Does he start? He starts half the game, start the other half. Like does Holloway start this game. That's, that's really my big question is like, does UMass try to try to establish a presence inside and against this kid in foul trouble? Right. Against a team. Like if, if, if they're going to put, if they're going to put Yanti Maidum on Holloway, to start and you just dump it inside every single time and try to get made in foul trouble and try and, and try to completely take out their best player. I mean, this kid is, he's, he's the real deal. I mean, he, he's, you know, over 20 points for four games this year already and um, over f- 10 rebounds for another five games. I mean, he's the real deal. So if you, if you're going to try to get in foul trouble and he's going to start at the five, maybe you do put Holloway. maybe you do start Holloway. If you're going to play a defensive type of, type of uh, game, you start, um, you start Baldwin, you, or sorry, you start Hines, you put him on him. So I'm very interested to see how, how McCall plays this. Um, so, because, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, well, I was going to so, say, Maine's, Maine's their, he's their team. I mean, really, like, he's putting up over 10 shots a game. He's, he's so good. I mean, he's a really, really good player. And also, not to be discounted, he makes his free throws. He's an 85% free throw shooter. So it's, you can't just foul him and put him on the line. So one of the things I think that'll be interesting to watch in this one, you know, Georgia will have had 11 days to prepare. And I think 11 days, you know, UMass will have had a week. So it's not as if, I think 11 days is actually maybe almost a little too much. I'm actually, I kind of like that. And I hope that they're yeah. a little rusty coming out of the gate. Um, the thing is three days later, they're playing their rival Georgia tech which I kind of love that they have, they have 11 days off and sort of, you know, then have to play UMass, which to them is not really a me- that, you know, inherently meaningful of a game. They have to fly out to Amherst while their minds are kind of locked in on their rival Georgia Tech. So I do like that. I am a little concerned that UMass, you know, this is a real test for UMass, you know, forget the opponent. I think Georgia isn't so good that UMass – you know, is in it will automatically be out of this one from the jump. It's not. It's not Minnesota. Although Minnesota struggled of late, by the way. But it's. It's not. You know, it's not the best team we faced this year. It's again. It's a question of 
can you, but I do think this will be, you know, the second, probably the second best team we face this year. And it is a question of, is UMass going to remain locked in this whole week? It's finals. McCall was on the road Sunday and Tuesday recruiting. Um, You know, the guys I think are getting excited. There's a, there's certainly a new, uh, you know, I, I do really feel like there's a real buzz right now after the Providence win. Because, you know, the casuals have been saying McCall can coach, McCall can coach, but now there's proof and the team's 5-0 and at home. So anyone who's come to a home yeah. game is basically seen as reasonably quality performance. And Man, isn't that beautiful? Yeah, it really is. And, <laughs> and so now the question becomes, you know, in front of what will definitely be the biggest crowd thus far this season, I think they'll get, you know, 5,000, 5,500, maybe even get it up to six. I know students are kind of starting to head home at that point, but many are still on campus. I think – you know, will UMass remain locked in? And, then, and that's the next test. We've, we've, when we went to three and five, there was that concern, okay, is this team going to sort of start to fizzle now? We did the exact opposite. Now, you know, a team that, frankly, under Kellogg was not, did not always do very well after big wins. This is a real opportunity to kind of come out and show that they're able to put forth the effort that they did on Saturday against Providence with the consist- with the, with the necessary consistency. I think they can, but the reality is you also have to hit shots. And I still think Georgia's yep. going to defend well and it's going to be a difficult game. And so, you know, so much of this, you know, even that Minnesota game, like I didn't, I know we didn't have great energy, but the reality is I didn't detest our performance. It was just that we shot three for our first 23 from three. So I think this is a similar game like to that. If UMass can limit turnovers and kind of do the little things well. I think that we should be in this game. I'm not going to outright predict the UMass win. I'm going to say Georgia ekes this one out 71-66. I'm going to go out of limb. I think UMass wins this game. Uh, I I don't think Georgia is as good as their record. Uh, I think they're going to come in. Granted, these guys are going through the exact same thing as UMass uh, in terms of finals and end of the semester. Uh, and they got to go on the road. They got to they got to travel three hours up north for this game on a, a game they probably don't want to really want to play. Um, I, I think UMass is going to win this game. I I really do. I, it's it's a weird confidence that I have after watching that Providence game where it's like. You know, you should Randy, you know, Randy Bullock is a borderline NBA player. And it's, you know, and, and, and um, you know, Yanti made him. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be a player. He's probably a little bit undersized for how the way he plays the game. He's, but I just, I don't, I trust the way McCall is coaching this team so much that I think UMass is going to squeak it out. And I think it's going to be on, on the back of the defense um, and, Lu- and Luan Pipkins. Um, I almost said his name wrong again, but. I, I do. I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and, and say UMass is going to win this game uh, just based on how well they've played at home, uh, based on how long, how well you, Luan Pipkins has played at home, and with a with a home crowd that finally I think should be there. And I'm so pissed that I can't go. Yeah, where on are you Saturday. Be, by the way? I got so the, the bachelor party that I went to two weeks ago. It's, it's boys' wedding. So I'll be at the wedding. Oh, that's a stuff. quick turnaround. Wow. Yeah. Oh, the, the bride. I've got to be honest. The bride was not happy about how quick that turnaround was. But, um, yeah, it's a quick turnaround, and I'll be at that wedding on Saturday. Uh, so I won't be really be able to watch this game. What time's the wedding? Uh, it's at f- – uh, so here's the thing. It's at 5 o'clock, but I'm in the wedding. So I, yeah. I, won't, I won't be able well, to – are, are there any UMass fans? Like, you, 
you can check the you know you can you can check the score. Oh, a hundred percent. I'd be be checking the score. I mean, there's there's two UMass guys in the in the bridal part uh, in the bridal in the uh, in in the groom groom as uh, as groomsmen with me. Uh, so I'll be able to check the score. I'm not too worried about that, but I won't be able to watch it at all. We gotta we're gonna get my boy prepped and ready to go for to get married. What's but, your uh, final? What's your final score? Uh, I'm gonna go sixty six sixty. Uh, UMass. Okay, low scoring. All right, Dude, that's so, that's my predictions all year. I just I, at the end of the day, like yeah, you know, I know UMass has put us some points, but I I think the defense carries the day for UMass. Honestly, I really do. Time for Sam the Mailman, your UMass Athletics mailbag updates. Okay, first question tonight in the mailbag segment comes to us from our good friends Fight Mass, one of the original UMass fan blogs, a, a terrific duo, and both both of whom will be there on Saturday, so I'm excited to see them in Section W. Is wine close enough to maroon pants? This is important. Indeed, it is important, and I, I say wine there's been, you know, I've been looking, I've been getting to be pretty on point with my maroon pant, uh, searches. Sometimes they're, they're, they're called like Merlot or (laughs) fucking absurd names. Like, you know, like Cabernet. I don't even know. Like as if, so he says wine and I'm going to say absolutely because there is a challenge where like, I'm looking at my pants right now. They're, they're, they're like, teetering on violet you know they're not purple yeah. they're definitely not purple but they're like teetering on violet maroon's a weird color so that's the question all right uh you listen, must, hold on hold ahead. on hold on oh, yeah, yeah once, once you start to break that. in once you start to break into the fashion side and and you're like you know you're you're trying to support umass athletics and you're like i'm gonna go out and buy maroon pants there is such a spectrum. Like anybody, listen, we're on umasshoops.com all the time. There is so much speculation about like, oh, like why isn't the, the certain uh, t-shirt I got, like the specific shade of yeah, maroon. You guys it's are like, so weird about oh, fucking uniforms. Like, I'm really weird about a lot of shit, but like I just don't get like the obsession I don't get it. with like merch and colors and like, oh. it's, like just win basketball games. The merch will come. Right. Who gives a shit? Honestly, like it's like, oh, specific shade of maroon that i want like this is what's going to happen with the with the maroon pan movement you buy a shade of maroon that kind of looks like maroon and we're all good like and if no it one gets big enough we, yeah. we, we we print like 500 like actual pairs of umass pants and you look yeah. like one of those douchebags at like an old miss uh tailgate which is <laughs> decidedly not western mass in aesthetic but like maybe it works Maybe maybe Sage and I show up in the parking lot with a bunch of like hashtag unnamed UMass basketball podcast maroon pants sponsored by J Crew. Maybe it would that, be really maybe would that be really elite like like on the like on the you know belt or something. It would say like right. UMPC 
you know, with a little hashtag, like kind of like a, you know, right. like a, a family crest, you know, just super uh, hipster, super hipster. We're, that's, that's, nah, that's I'm not even talking hipster. I'm talking outright outlandish, like Nantucket shithead, you know, like that's, <laughs> that's where I'm going with it. Just complete the, douchebag. The juxtaposition of like, kind of like the gritty Western mass vibe with like these like preppy ass pants that, that have like a family crest or no, what do they call them? Women have like oh. the, in the south like every woman Dude, gonna, who has like gonna, money it's gonna kill me i know exactly what you're talking about the name of it i don't know the thing bennett what is it called like the oh my god it's killing it's like monocle is it a monocle monogram 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 i think it's monogram like a monogram do you ask by the way there's a lot of people saying that we should name the podcast maroon pant podcast and i don't oppose it until but i want to see like if it's got to happen, man. It's got to happen for like five to ten games before I sign up. Yeah, it's got to happen for five to ten games. But here's my thing, Bamford. I said, you know, a donation of two cents. Okay, you chuckle at that. How about this? If a thousand people are in maroon pants, I change the name of the podcast. A thousand. Hey, I'm down with that. That's at any game. Honestly, let's, let's say any game. A thousand any game people. over the course of the next two Not seasons. total. Not total. It has to be one game. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like this, any game of the next two seasons, we'll name it the Maroon Pan Podcast. But until then, I don't know. Oh, and I'm a big fan of the Maroon Pan Podcast. It's just, it's just, it's got to be a more of a thing. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, let's go. All right. Next question from stalwart fan of the show, UMass fan 33 sits courtside. He says, "How much do you think Miller could have helped last year's team if given the opportunity?" It's a very good question, and we've we've neglected to talk about Rayshon Miller because he was outstanding, if I recall, in that Holy, Holy Cross game, too. I think he was like three for oh, four, he was awesome. and he had eight points. He was great. Didn't do much against Providence, but, you know, solid minutes. So it's interesting because I think under Derek Kellogg, he wouldn't have done a whole lot because Kellogg was so reliant upon athletic, you know, particularly athletic kind of guys who get to the rim and create off the bounce that he didn't even really use – wouldn't really use guys like a Miller who are kind of like a good spot shooter and can, you know, handle the ball well. And by the way, I've liked him in limited action at point guard. And I like to see a little more of that. But the reality is like under Kellogg, I don't think they were running because he's gotten so many of those little corner threes, three looks off of various little plays that McCall has run. And Kellogg just didn't run a ton of that shit. So I see him not having done very little under Kellogg, particularly with last year's team where you had Zach Lewis and you had Clark and you had other guys who, if you did run a play to the corner, it was to one of them. If you gave Matt McCall last year's roster, I do think Rayshon Miller would be a contributor because he's so smart as a player and he buys in really quickly. And I think McCall, as we've seen with Baldwin this year, would frankly have had he, I mean, I don't know if Dante Clark makes it 15 games under Matt McCall. I'm just going to be totally honest with you. Like, <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't know if he puts up with some of that shot selection and some of the poorest no. defensive efforts. So, you know. I, I mean, think, I would, yeah, I, mean, I would love to see minutes, Dante Clark. You get six or eight minutes under, under him last year, probably. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I was gonna say I would have, I would have loved to see Dante Clark play for Matt McCall. I, I just. I don't know how it would have been. It would have gone one way or the other. I mean, there's, there's two directions it would have gone and it would have. Yeah. There's not much in between there. I guess my point with, with Rayshon and this might be, uh, you know, more on the negative side, but if you look at the teams that he's put up some numbers against, 
it's been bad teams. Um, 10 points against UMass Lowell, 14 points. Wait, didn't he have a few points against uh, South Carolina? He did. Oh, you're right. kind of right. sucks, actually, if we're no, being no. Well, yeah, they might suck, but he did have eight points against South Carolina. But that, I mean, let's say, let's look at the, the teams we played that we, we consider good teams. Harvard, he had no points. BYU, he had no points. Uh, South Carolina, he had eight points. It was, a good, it was a good game for him. Minnesota, he had two. Providence, he had no points. So I guess yeah, listen, that's a fair. That's a that's the that's a pretty legit point. Well, I guess it, it, it's not even just looking at point totals. I it's it's unfair to kind of do that. But I just think when the speed really gets going and he's playing yeah. against defenses that have length and speed, he's kind of a different player. I love Rayshon Miller. I like. I don't mean to disparage him. Bless like his a, heart. A, I mean, given that he's, yeah. he's playing thirty minutes a night and he's a freaking yeah. walk. Bless, bless his heart. This kid's going to make like 130 grand right out of college. He's in like freaking like electrical engineering program. I <laughs> like think he's actually, we've actually continued that myth. I think he's now like an econ major, but carry on, carry on. Oh, market. All right. Either way, I, I feel like I was listening. I was watching the Providence broadcast. No, he was at one but point there, but either way, an old media guy. Either way, he's, he's a smart dude. Like let's, let's just, let's yeah. Bright kid. But granted, every time, every time I watch him play against really, really good competition, it just feels like he's a step behind, which, you know, for somebody who is a walk-on who has never played against that type of competition is completely expected. You know, he was an intramural basketball player. For yeah, the I mean, it's pretty year. stunning. I mean, and it also does speak to, you're totally right, and it also speaks to the fact that, as I've continued to say, if you are not a top 50 team, top 70 team, certainly not top 100 team, it's kind of amazing how what the effort and intelligence of a guy like Rayshon Miller, who is kind of a D2, D3 recruit out of high school, will do. Because the reality is you can play with those teams. And that's where, like, great coaching matters so much because, you know, against the top 30 or 40, it's totally different. But these bottom-of-the-barrel D1 teams – and, look, you could also make an argument. I saw someone on Twitter the other day saying, like, we need to cut. 75 or 100 division one teams at this point and they're a joke i mean it's a joke it is kind of a joke. like it's you know and it's but because the truth is like even the teams 100 to 2 i mean you're seeing the atlantic 10 this year is just abominable and yeah, the, the fact the fact that mccall is can compete with this roster speaks to a his great coaching ability and b a little bit of just like there's not that many good teams in the country, period. You know, I, I think there's just some of that. Yeah, Sage, I, honestly, at one point, um, you know, I don't know we're, I'm kind of thinking about loud here, but like over the break, I'd love to just get into that type of uh, conversation with like, you know, where teams compete and like w- in with co- which, which conference and how the NCAA yeah, is I going. Mean, and we could do a whole episode on the like, – That's what I mean. I think we do a whole episode on yeah. Like where is yeah, where does yeah. UMass like a bonus episode for, for premium for premium subscribers? Right. Uh, ahead, yeah, yeah. Well, UMass actually and UMass Lowell has actually won a bunch of games. All right, let's get back to the questions. Um, the great R. Sitchman in Jersey, great friend of the show. He'll be there this weekend. I met him at LIU. Good dude. He says, "What's really happening with R. H. Rayshon Holloway?" And Ooh. let's try to be quick Ooh. on this because we could do a whole episode on that too. Yeah. The first is foul trouble. The second is he's not in shape. And the third is he doesn't really jump. (laughs) I don't know how else to put it, but he doesn't really jump. 
And I feel like that's a little different. I feel like he used to be a little bit, not, not springy, but springier. And I, and I, I want to say that the thumb injury caused some, you know, we've, we've sort of now forgotten about the thumb injury. So I, I, I think it's unfair in that we're 10 games in. And I always said, let's hope he's ready to go by conference play. And he has shown a few signs. So let me just try to go back because the college basketball season goes so quick that like, holy shit, we're a third of the way through the year now, right? A third yeah. of the way through the year. And Holloway has not emerged as what we thought he would be. And yet I also said, well, he's going to be five or six weeks behind. So if I'm going to say that, I have to be honest with myself. The Georgia game is a huge test for him. He came through against BYU. He was respectable against Providence. He's shown some life, but I'm not going to make a declaration until after the second conference game. So he'll have gone on the road to Bana, where he should have a real advantage because they never have good size there other than Andrew Nicholson. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my call for that. I'm, I'm going to say I'm disappointed with where he's been, but I'm not going to jump down his throat until two or three games into the A-10 cycle. He's taking too much. Uh, that's my overall point to Rashawn Holloway because there were at least two, maybe three times where he got the ball underneath the basket. It was whether it was off of, um, I think actually most of them were off offensive rebounds, but it was like he got the ball and and he went up and then he pump faked and he doesn't have the vertical leap to really pump fake where if he just, if he just went up strong, he would have made the basket. And there was, I honestly, three times where he went up against Providence where I'm like, Rashawn, I've watched you make that basket for two, two whole years. Like you make that every time. And I don't know if it's McCall. Uh, it might be, honestly. Um, I don't know if it's him inside his own head because he's not getting as many minutes as he did last year. I don't know if it's his, his weight. Well, the minutes I- are fairly similar, actually. I mean, remember, right. last year he was fouling out. It was the same shit, 19, 20 minutes a night. I, I mean, is he doomed to foul trouble forever and that's just going to limit him to 20 minutes? It's like, I don't know. I, it's. I just think maybe, maybe, maybe it's he's, I mean, granted, he's got a, he had to have put on 20 or 30 pounds from last year when he was in exception. He was, he was an exceptional, let's be real, for a guy that size. But he just, he's not as confident around the hoop as he was last year. And there was times, and I, it, it really, really stuck out for me in the Providence game when I was watching. But I was like, Rashawn, you make that shot, man. You, I've seen you make it every time. You think about it, a college basketball season, it's 30 games and you're 10 in and, and you just kind of look at yourself and say, oh man, we're already a third of the way through the year and it feels like we're just starting. Because in the NBA, right. it, it really would, it would be just starting. And then you kind of think like, okay, is this just who he is? Is he a 10.5, six boards a game guy? forever and we just were hoping that it would eventually turn into a 17 and 10 monster and it just isn't going to because it's somewhat you know maybe if we could just accept that you're going to get 10 and 5 most nights from him we could be happy because we wouldn't have to run the we're not running the we're not running the offense through him but it just feels like sometimes when you watch the games like if you think of this year narratively you can think of so many moments for for Pipkins so many moments So many moments for Carl Pierre. So many moments for, you know, quiet moments for Malik Hines. 
I was going to say, Malik Hines has had some some serious moments. And not and Malik Hines doesn't have, doesn't have like individual moments. It's just like, oh, he got another putback. He got another re- offensive rebound. Like, he restarted another possession. Like, it's little right. things. With with Holloway, I can only really recall that great um, and one against BYU where he was where he hit the fall away, which, frankly, like, yep. the fact that he was falling away was like, kind of a problem in the first place. I'm a little concerned about that. But it's just not been his year in terms of these sort of transcendent moments and i think you know a10 play is where i'm going to make the call as to whether or not i'm content with him as a 10 and 5 guy or whether i'm considering him a disappointment because he's a 10 and 5 guy and i think i'm not gonna i'm gonna vow not to make the call until then i just think with the improvement of malik high the way malik has been playing it just kind of puts holloway in a weird spot right because malik is Kind of the same player. Malik can can play more at the at the el- uh, at the elbow than than Holloway can. But if Hall if uh, McCall wants to go a lot of three or f- four guard type of action, yeah, you know it's Holloway's in a in a tough spot. And it's like at a at a team you know against teams in the end where they have a lot more size. And it's like you know we, we're going to dump it down on this guy, and he's either going to score or he's not going to score. And most of the time last year he scored. And yeah. it's like, is he going to do that this year or not? And I, I, but he's doing the same thing. It's, it's just that we thought he was going to go from 11 to 17, you know? Right. Right. And it's like, you're right. No, it's a good point. Cause like, I guess my expectations of him were a little bit higher than, and he's still producing. You're, you're, you're hundred percent right. I just think what's that, he averaging like probably 9.4 or something. Oh, hold on. I can look it up real quick, but nah. I, I guess at, this, at the end of the day, He's just missing shots. He's averaging nine point six points. He's he's the second leading scorer of the team. So, and he's yeah. <laughs> listen, listen, hold on. This is the craziest stat. He's he's the second leading scorer on the team. He is the high uh, second leading rebounder on the team besides Malik Hines, and he's averaging eighteen point two minutes a game. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, maybe that's who he is. We'll figure it out. And we'll he's find sixty percent from the floor. I mean, it's like the kid can play. The kid can play. It's just he's got a. Yeah, he's got. Can you run your? The kid can play. It's that. Can you or do you even want to at this point run your offense through him? That's the question. Early, early in the year, it was like, oh yeah, we're running the offense through him, and then it was like, oh wait, um, he's kind of hurt, and we have this kid, Lawan Pipkins, who we can run our offense through him. And so I just think it's a, it's a def, it's an identity change for the team, and we're gonna see where it goes in conference. All right, last question for the night. Let's take one more. UMass Man is the name. He goes by UMass UMass on Twitter. I kid you not. That is his actual Twitter handle. UMass UMass. 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 That's awesome. <laughs> <Legend>. Originality. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, this is first time, long time. Uh, UMass UMass here. Um, <laughs> asking for... <laughs> I'll take my answer off the air. Um, 20, 2018 basketball predictions. Record tournament slash NIT bound, et cetera. Well, let's chill for a second. All right. Whoa, Let me just put this, this is not a tournament team yet. No, like, no. This is a, a fringe CBI team. We're looking at CBI bracketology right now. God, CIT bracketology. Yeah. I, I feel like there's someone fanatical enough in the group of people who listen to the show that they would become like the, like, how about that dude back in the day who was the NIT bracketology person? Like, that I mean, I think sometimes I'm a loser. That's real 
dark shit if you're doing NIT bracket talk. I mean, is it the CIC or the CBI that's the best of three finals? I, well, uh, I have no idea. They're, they both exist, Bennett. Like, yeah, no, I know, but one of them does a best of three finals. It's the only best of three in college basketball. I'm going to tell you something. Oh, that's awesome. I don't remember who, but I have a buddy who is a Division One basketball coach, head coach somewhere. His team won one of these a couple years ago and i had a great time at the final i went and watched it i'm not uh, going to give away much more my dad's alma mater won it a few years ago he won whichever one was the best of three Loyola of chicago who also just took down uh what was it yes uh, florida yeah florida yeah it was the i was way more excited about it than he was we don't want top we don't want florida losing the Loyola chicago because it means it's one more step from a call to To, uh, <laughs> to, 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 to get out of here maybe we need to be like 13 and 17 this year because we don't want like if we go 16 and 14 mccall's like if, borderline like a candidate. if mccall goes if mccall goes to florida after one no he's not going after one he's not going after this. one but he's going he might go after like three all right yeah so, anyway prediction so there's i know the a10 is absolutely pretty down up. man Dog shit! It is completely garbage. Other than Bonnie and and uh, Rhode Island, which I've been saying all along. I said all offseason. I was like, Dayton's gonna suck, and they have. They lost the pen. They lost. Like they, VCU they suck. sucks too. VCU sucks, but like they're gonna get it together. And I hope George so. Mason, but like, I thought George Mason, so I thought George Mason and St. Louis were gonna be were gonna be a lot better, and they both struggled. The point is this. UMass still has the thinnest roster in terms of sheer numbers, and that's why I'm not convinced yet that we're a top seven or eight, eight, ten team. It could happen, but there's, but you you have to avoid the injury bug, and and I I don't want to jinx us, but that's just really hard to do. So I still am saying, look, on this podcast we did we broke down the non-conference, we did not break down the conference on episode one, and Cal and I both agreed that seven and six in the non-conference was the dream we literally said that yeah and we're on pace now if you know if we take two of the next three to do that and we said six and seven would be great i think that it ups your a10 expectations from say you know your the hope there before was probably five and 13 six and 12 now you can hope it's fair to hope given what you've seen and given how bad the A-10 is, for 7 and 11, 8 and 10. So let's say 8 and you can somehow eke out 7 in the non-conference. So I think still the best case scenario right now. And if we beat Georgia, now things really do start to change. But So we're at that tipping point. If We're on the precipice now. But I still think 15 and 15 is what, you, what would be the dream season given the tiny roster. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe you win one in the A-10. But maybe you steal two in the A-10 tournament because, like, nobody's going to want to play us. I can tell you that much. Uh, and McCall's going to oh, be super dude, well prepared. Are... And that's going to be fun. I gotta, I'm going to go. Definitely. I don't know if – well, I wish I could. I, I don't know if I can make it this year. But um... – I don't know if you can CIT or CBI. Cal, you can sleep on my couch for the A10 tournament. <laughs> Maybe I will, honestly. Um, you remember know the, the LaSalle team that we lost to go with uh, that kid, Zach? He was like the big guy on that team, and they had a couple Steve, of really good guards. Like Steve, was it Steve, Steve Zach? Steve no. Zach, I think. Was it Duke or Zach or something like that? Um, that LaSalle team was so damn good. It just, I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Um, I don't think that any team is going to want to play this UMass team in the A-10 tournament. 
Uh, I don't right, think. But what's gonna... your prediction for this year, though? For, for getting back to the question. Oh, jeez. I don't know. I feel like we should do this in a couple weeks because I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. But like, if we're gonna do like a ten tournament, I mean a ten, a ten. Yeah, conference. we're gonna do that. We're gonna do that before the same. Yeah, party. I don't but know. I'm still saying fifteen and fifteen with eight and ten is. The yeah, best I think it's conference. like thirteen. Any anywhere between twelve and fifteen wins. I think fifteen is the max. I just, I it, it's a, it makes me. I don't know. It, it really, it, honestly, after the George game, I might, have a, I might have a completely different opinion on this team in the A-10 because they cannot, because the A-10 is so down that I feel like they can just beat teams based on coaching um, more than I think they could w- without it. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I think anywhere between 13 and 15 wins is what I'm, what I'm kind of expecting. Um, but it's, 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 you know, A-10 is always tough, man. It's like, you get in these games and it's like everybody knows each other. Knows yeah, them. and it's all it's different, so much, but yeah. and so much of it is about like when you play a team in response. Like if you play a team, right? If you have a week to prepare and they don't, and then you know, or if you're if you're like back to back on the road. I mean, there's so many of those factors that I think you have to take into account. But let's call this an episode. We've been really rambling. Go to the Mullins on uh, Saturday. Hit me on Twitter at Sage. DM me. I'll be there. Um, it's going to be great. I'm bringing a friend who's actually a big Michigan fan, Michigan alum, who is going to rock maroon as well. It's going to be a really fun atmosphere. I can't wait to be there. Uh, two cents per thing. Uh, that's a bit of a shot at Bamford because you heard at the outset. <laughs> and, um, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, hit us up, et cetera, et cetera. It's been real. We'll talk to you later. Peace. Love you guys.